Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. Several years ago, um, how many years has it been, Michael? I don't know, five, six, seven? I had the opportunity to get to know this guy, Michael Miller, and actually travel with him and do some ministry with him in Texas, which was an absolute blessing. And I've learned a ton from him, and you're going to be blessed this morning to hear from him. And um, we're excited to have you here, buddy. Uh, Michael, as you know, we want Crossroads to be more than just 726 West Francis. Matter of fact, Steve's down preaching at at a deal this weekend down in um, Houston. And he'll be next weekend as well, preaching at a church down there. So we love to see our church beyond 726 West Francis. Michael and his wife have, have started a church down in Denver. And we've been behind this church and supporting this church. And he's going to give us an update on that. But, bro, we're just glad you're here, man. We want to hear from you today. Tell us about the, the church. And come on up. I'll pray for you. And we'll continue on. Give this guy a hand. This is a great guy. Excited to hear from you, man. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thanks for this time. Thanks for all that's going on at Crossroads Church. And uh, Lord, for our visitors here today, we just want to welcome them. Uh, We're glad they're here. They are our guests, and we want to connect with them and get to know them and encourage them. Father, uh, we also just want to pray for this time here as Michael uh, leads us and shares from the Word. Lord, thank you for what we've already shared this morning, and we look forward to what he's going to share with us. And at the same time, we lift up Steve and Derek as they lead down in uh, Texas today um, at Sukkot. Father, just bless them and, and just anoint their time as well, Lord. So thank you. Thanks for being with us. Thank you that our church goes beyond 726 West Francis. So many things going on, and we're grateful and looking forward to hearing what's happening in Denver. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you. Honor to be here. I should probably ask you, and I should have asked this before we even started, but uh, what time should I try to land the plane on this? Nine forty-five. Okay, I'm sorry. I got you for forty minutes. You're stuck for another. Um, I, I have a couple of things. Uh, Lee, you cracked me up when you were talking about tonight. He was like, you know, it's going to be more of a round thing, not so much a talking down. The morning is going to be me talking down to you, but the evening will be. <laughs> so I had to razz you a little bit. <laughs> um, I do love that. I'll make a plug for that tonight because I love what that stands for. And I like that you call it the outpost. Uh, It just sounds, I mean, a little bit more trendy than what many of us call things. So uh, um, I'm excited about that. I think, you know, oftentimes we miss this when we talk about the new covenant and the idea that God gave his spirit to us. Uh, We can tend to reduce it to a, a series of propositional truths like, you know, how you're saved and things like that. And, and it's no longer by works, but by grace. But one of the major components of the new covenant is this idea that no longer uh, will it just be the special few anointed people in the Old Testament that get the spirit, like the kings and the priests. But now God is pouring out his spirit on all flesh. And so a central component and often a very lost component of the new covenant is that now the people of God are spirit-led people not just the priests and kings. It's all of us. 
And if you're a believer in Christ, there's something unique that God has given you, and it's to be used as a contribution to others in the body of Christ. Um, so Christianity is not a spectator sport. Although it may feel like that sometimes on Sunday mornings, uh, it, it actually is never meant to be that way. We all have gifts that we bring to share with one another to further the work of the kingdom and continue the work of uh, sanctification in our hearts. And so tonight is a bit more like that. It's a gift. Everybody brings it and shares it. Um, so I'm excited to be a part of that. Um, little update on... Uh, What's going on in Denver? Just for the record, for those of you who don't know, uh, I wouldn't have a church to pastor down in Denver if Crossroads hadn't stepped in and gotten behind us. Um, So the elders here have been my oversight in Denver until we have a local plurality of elders established there. Um, And they've also contributed, you guys have contributed to making sure that that work can happen. I wouldn't have had a salary this last year or in 2020 that, you know, when the COVID pandemic broke out, had it not been for the church here supporting us. Uh, so a lot of gratitude is, is do your way because of what we're getting to do there. Um, it's been, uh, I mean, planting a church in COVID, uh, prophetically, you figured I should have seen that coming. Um, <laughs> Uh, probably not the best time to plant a church, or actually maybe it's the best time to plant a church, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, For us, it has been incredibly good, uh, profitable, and not just for uh, my family, but for the community and and for Denver itself. When a lot of churches are shutting down because they're so big, they can't meet the mask mandate and the requirements in Denver, we were small little units able to, to continue to gather despite what was happening worldwide. Um, so really rather advantageous for us. And we were able to set a culture of it's, this church is going to be focused around the home primarily uh, where everybody can bring their gift and that the, the gathering that we have of, of all of these groups will, will uh, be a time of a teaching of the word and of, of corporate celebration of what God has done for us. And so that's kind of what we've been able to do. Um, we've, I would say we're growing, and that's a very good, healthy sign. Um, we're in the process of, of going through an elder training with one of, uh, one of the guys in the community. Um, i trying to think what else to update you on. Uh, because of a podcast I do called The Remnant Radio, there's been a lot of uh, opportunities to travel and teach, and when I get to do that, I take a, a whole team and slew of guys with me uh, who are sort of growing in this stuff and, and learning how to hear God's voice and to be spirit-led and uh, so that's been a really unique and fun opportunity. Um, and as far as the church itself, we've really had a vision to to equip the church. I think all too often um, the church can be centered around a special gifted person who usually has a microphone. And we've wanted to get away from that idea as the model for Christian living. Uh, really, the, the job of the person with a microphone is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so what does that mean for all of you guys? Well, it means the very things that Jesus did, you should be doing. And so that's kind of the the aim of our community gatherings is to train and equip others to do the work of Jesus, to train them how to give the proclamation of the gospel, to train them how to demonstrate the work of the kingdom, uh, praying for the sick, uh, hearing from God and giving uh, prophetic words, um, opening up their homes and hospitality to serve the poor or those who are in need. Uh, all of those things are sort of part of what we're doing as a community, and it's, it's been happening. We're about to kick off home groups in the next uh, couple of weeks. 
uh, where these home groups are going to be. Well, we were basically a home group until we grew out of that, my home and had to start meeting in a bigger facility. And so now we're reestablishing those home groups again, where that, that sort of center of the community is going to take place and the life of the community will take place. So very excited about all of that. I feel like I'm just rambling now. Uh, <laughs> that relates to a lot of what we're talking about. Um, you know, it's, it's been kind of interesting that Steve is going through revelation when I, uh, talked to him about coming up here. I was telling him I, I have two different kind of messages that I've been sort of mulling between, but one of them is, is straight out of the book of Revelation, uh, and it's about overcoming great difficulties. And how one of the ways that God allows us to, to overcome is through the family of Christ. Um, that God created this thing called the body of Christ, and he has intentionally knit us together, knowing that we're so, so all completely different and in desperate need of one another. Um, and that becomes really apparent. If you go through 1 Corinthians 12, most people, like when we read it, we think about, oh, well, that's the chapter on the gifts, but it's more than that. It's about how God has uniquely knit people from different backgrounds, different races, different socioeconomic classes, put us together in one thing called the body of Christ and how we can never truly fulfill our calling as a church unless we're in unity and in unison with one another that you have gifts that I don't have, I have gifts that you don't have, and I desperately need the gifts that you have, and you desperately need the gift that I have, and, and together we make up that body. So, um, and specifically about how that body is going to be what we need for one another and what the early church needed for one another when it came to overcoming obstacles. So, um, when you read Revelation, I, it's just funny because Steve happens to have, I guess, finished off this last week in his series exactly where the message that I'm preaching today picks up. Uh, so he finished it off talking about one of the things that the church had to overcome and how the reward for having overcome is a much bigger picture. How there's the spiritual world, the spiritual reality, and uh, and that at the end of the days, God is going to give us a, a, an authority to rule and reign over this entire world. Some of us are going to even judge angels, as the scriptures say, which is pretty mind-blowing when you think about it. Um, but how did they get to that place of ruling and reigning? Well, it was through the thing that came right before it, overcoming great obstacles. Um, so today, I want to talk about something I had to overcome uh, and how uh, God has something for all of us to overcome. As a matter of fact, when you read those letters to the seven churches written in Revelation chapter 2 through chapter 3, you're going to find one repeated phrase, to him who overcomes. It's used every single time in all seven letters to all the different churches in Revelation, to him who overcomes. And then the next phrase, which is really cool, is I will give. Which implies, I mean, it, it, that sort of speaks to the nature of God, right? He doesn't necessarily zap away all your problems. But if you overcome those problems, he has a promise of reward. So, and, and here's the truth. A lot of us think that when we come to Christ, that Christ is going to demand all of this from us. All of these things, which is true. He's going to demand everything you have. Everything you are is the demand of Christ. And he has the right to demand it being our creator. But what he will take, he will return in a different way. In other words, you cannot outgive Jesus Christ. God is the giver of all good things, and he will outgive everything that you have to give up. So giving your life, he will give you a brand new one. That new life that he has for you is far more significant than the one you're trying to create for yourself.
You cannot outgive God. He is the giver of all good things. Um, okay, I'm, I'm kind of all over this, but let me, let me start here with this family idea. Um, when God put together the body of Christ, it was not intended to be a corporate structure and organization, although oftentimes it may look that way. Um, what he created was a family. And in that family came people from all different backgrounds. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, Paul will make this big distinction about how, you know, in the former days, it was just the, the Jews who were given the, the Yahweh as their God. But now God has knit together people from the Jewish nation with all of the other nations of the earth. And so with that come people that you may not necessarily relate well with. Uh, matter of fact, and even when, when God created this thing called the body of Christ at Acts chapter 2, and he pours out the spirit on all flesh, and, and then it extends to the Samaritans, and then it extends to the Gentile nations, even prior to doing that, he called together 12 disciples. Now, when you look at these disciples, most of us, if we're creating a team to, to, or a little family to accomplish a great purpose, we would probably do it different than Jesus did. For example, think about a couple of the guys that he put together on the same team. You've got one guy named Matthew who's a tax collector. You know anything about tax collectors? Well, if you're a Jewish man, uh, tax collectors were the most hated people in, in, in the Jewish nation because they were Jews that were basically serving their Roman oppressors. So if you're Jewish, you're looking at that tax collector going, what a traitor, I can't believe he would do this. Uh, tax collectors were known to t- take taxes from the people. And now, now you've got to remember, the Jewish people were so heavily taxed, they, couldn't, uh, they could barely afford food. That's how bad it was. That's how bad the taxation was. Now, in our country, they tried to tax us on tea, and we decided to throw the whole thing in the ocean. And we don't put up with that kind of taxation in this country, do we? No, but, but this is what was going on in the Jewish nation, and yet you had Jewish people serving the Roman emperor, taking those taxes and handing them over to Rome, and then on top of that, demanding a little extra just for themselves. That's the kind of person that Jesus called to be one of his disciples. And he happened to team him up. I mean, think about this. Jesus, at one time, is going to send the 12 out in pairs of two. I wonder how he paired them together. Now, this would just be speculating, but what if he took that tax collector and uh, paired him together with another, another of his 12 disciples, a guy named Simon, who's also called the Zealot. You know what a Zealot is? The Zealots were a particularly zealous group of people. They were known for taking uh, little shards of glass and bones and sort of melding them together to create little makeshift knives, and they would stick them in the side of people they considered weren't faithful to the Jewish nation. You think Matthew wants to be in the same room with that guy? And yet God thought this was a really great idea. Let's put people from completely different backgrounds, completely different aspirations, uh, maybe socioeconomic class. Let's put them together and they're going to transform the world. Right? That's what it says in Acts. You know, they turned the whole world upside down, uneducated, you know, Jewish guys from different backgrounds. You, you, you have no idea how God is knitting us together and the kind of people he's putting together to create a family. I'm watching this happen in Denver. He's creating a little church family from people from totally different backgrounds. 
I got one guy who was, who's, I mean, <laughs> I think of the ministry trip I took out. Uh, I went to Cincinnati, Ohio, just about three weeks ago. I took a small team with me, about three other guys. One of them grew up in Denver, uh, came to Christ later in life. Another one grew up in Texas. He was raised in a Christian home. Another one grew up in Texas, was not cre- uh, raised in a Christian home. He was actually raised by uh, two uh, homosexual women. Those were his parents. Uh, he came to Christ later in life, was a drug addict, um, I mean, divorced, you know, had, had a kid, got divorced, and then came to Christ. I mean, just a, a crazy radical story. And, and this was my ministry team. These are the guys God is using to transform the world, disciples of Christ, from different backgrounds, different socioeconomic classes, different levels and very degrees of sin and, and struggles from, you know, story of origin and upbringing. Uh, and I watched these guys get up in a room and, and begin to operate in the gifts of the spirit that God had given them. Uh, one of the guys uh, called out a man and said, I feel like you're a pastor. I feel like actually you're an elder of a church and you're in a conflict with your other elders right now and it has to do with the very thing that we're talking about this weekend. Sure enough, the guy had traveled two hours from Illinois and he was uh, an elder in his church and he was in a conflict uh, with the other elders about the gifts of the Spirit. And this is just some young guy who grew up in a broken home uh, and had come to Christ and God was using him to, to do these things. God's pouring out his Spirit on all flesh. He takes these guys, puts them on a team and he expects them to transform the world. Um, it's interesting how these guys from different backgrounds are going to need each other when, when the real uh, persecution starts. And the trials of life begin. So you see in Jerusalem, uh, these guys become sort of saturated and they, they fail to fulfill the Great Commission, which is to go into all the nations and make disciples, right? Where are they 20 years later? Well, they're still in Jerusalem. <laughs> Have they gone to the nations yet? No. So you know what God does is he allows persecution to come in. And ne- next thing you know, they get dispersed. We got, we got one guy, Thomas, who goes all the way to the southern part of India where he actually gets speared to death after preaching the gospel. And now there's a church that exists there to this day because of Thomas's work. But God used perse- persecution to separate the church and, and to get them to go into the nations and make disciples. It's why we are here today. Because those disciples didn't stay in Jerusalem. Eventually, they went out and they preached the same gospel. Um, We see this written in James, right? He says, consider all joy, brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds. Right? He tells them to consider it joy. Because of the work he's going to do in creating faith in the family of God when they're being persecuted, when they're experiencing trials. Don't you think it's interesting that the very first line uh, of James chapter 1 is, uh, James, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad. Why are they dispersed abroad? Trials in life. Uh, how many of you like the promises of God? Any of you like the promises of God? And we got these little books that are so neat to go to. Like, I'm just claiming my promises, brother. You know what are the promises of God nobody ever tells you? You won't find it in the little book of God's promises. In this life, you will have trials. Promise of God, right there in the scriptures. But nobody tells you that. Why is that? What do they tell us about the promises of God being one of the major ones? Trials, persecutions, overcoming great difficulties. 
Um, listen, I, kind of, I personally came up from an incredibly broken home. Mom and dad divorced at age one. Dad married another woman with six kids. Meanwhile, he couldn't pay child support to my mom to raise the four kids that he already had. So at age four, when he remarried, it was like somebody, you could have just branded me with the word rejection and abandonment. Um, That wound of rejection, I carried with me into my adult life, sabotaging every relationship I got into. Now here's the crazy part. One of the, the cool things was, is Jesus saved me. He saved me. He took me out from a life of sin, a life of trying to do it my own way, a life that I was sabotaging, and he saved me and brought me into the family of God. This family of God I was going to need desperately when uh, my rejection and abandonment issues started uh, manifesting themselves to the point where I was ready to take my own life. Almost got married twice. Um, The second relationship, I sabotaged, just blew that thing up. Right? It was one of those th- kind of situations where you know, the, I would text my girlfriend at the time and I didn't hear back from her and I immediately started thinking, well, she must not love me anymore. It had only been five minutes. But that's how much I struggled with rejection and abandonment. You know, the really, the, the, the really ironic part about it was the biggest hindrance to me overcoming my rejection and abandonment issues were all the miracles I had seen. A lot of you can go, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. Right, that's why I said it was ironic. It doesn't make sense. You see, I'd seen, um, blind, or I'd seen deaf ears open. I'd seen flat feet change shape right in front of my eyes. I saw one young man in Denmark. Uh, he had flat feet. He was not a believer. Prayed for his flat feet. Uh, he gets healed. He doesn't realize he's healed until he puts on his shoes, and he actually can feel like they feel different. And he's looking down at his feet, and he starts cussing out loud about how his feet have changed shape. Again, not a believer. Uh, this young man comes to Christ. And, and I'm telling you, I, I'd seen these kind of things. Tons of it. I met it two, two months ago down in Corpus Christi, pray for a, a lady who is uh, completely deaf in was it, her, my right, her left. Okay. I got to try to remember how this played out. Her, her left ear, completely deaf. No, it was her right. I was praying this way. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, that's her left. I'm so confused. Her left, my right. Anyway, she's deaf in her right ear and she's partially blind in her right ear. She had had uh, pancreatic cancer, and because of it, they had to remove most of her pancreas. And so she had just a little bit of her pancreas left, and because of that, it created diabetes. And the diabetes took her vision. Um, the ear problem, we're not exactly sure what happened there, but it was completely deaf in that ear. and had been for five years. Now her eye, when I say she was partially blind, here's what she could see. Like if you were looking straight ahead, you guys can see me, right? You're looking straight ahead, you're looking at me. Imagine if all you could see was my hair and my legs, and that's it. Everything in between is completely black. That was her vision. Prayed for her, put my hand on her eye, simple prayer, wasn't yelling at her. Uh, the volume of your voice does not determine power. Uh, prayed for a very simple prayer. And I said, Lord Jesus, would you come and heal what the uh, diabetes has destroyed and let everything in this eye be restored in Jesus name. And I said, why don't you check it out and tell me how, if you notice any difference. So she covers her right eye. 
Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. Several years ago, um, how many years has it been, Michael? I don't know, five, six, seven? I had the opportunity to get to know this guy, Michael Miller, and actually travel with him and do some ministry with him in Texas, which was an absolute blessing. And I've learned a ton from him, and you're going to be blessed this morning to hear from him. And um, we're excited to have you here, buddy. Uh, Michael, as you know, we want Crossroads to be more than just 726 West Francis. Matter of fact, Steve's down preaching at, some, at a deal this weekend down in um, Houston. And he'll be next weekend as well, preaching at a church down there. So we love to see our church beyond 726 West Francis. Michael and his wife have, have started a church down in Denver. And we've been behind this church and supporting this church. And he's going to give us an update on that. But, bro, we're just glad you're here, man. We want to hear from you today. Tell us about the, the church, and come on up. I'll pray for you, and we'll continue on. Give this guy a hand. This is a great guy. Excited to hear from you, man. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thanks for this time. Thanks for all that's going on at Crossroads Church. And, uh, Lord, for our visitors here today, we just want to welcome them. Uh, we're glad they're here. They are our guests, and we want to connect with them and get to know them and encourage them. Father, uh, we also just want to pray for this time here as Michael uh, leads us and shares from the word. Lord, thank you for what we've already shared this morning, and we look forward to what he's going to share with us. And at the same time, we lift up Steve and Derek as they lead down in uh, Texas today um, at Sukkot. Father, just bless them and, and just anoint their time as well, Lord. So thank you. Thanks for being with us. Thank you that our church goes beyond 726 West Francis. So many things going on, and we're grateful and looking forward to hearing what's happening in Denver. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you. Honored to be here. I should probably ask you, and I should have asked this before we even started, but uh, what time should I try to land the plane on this? Nine forty-five. Okay, I'm sorry. I got you for forty minutes. You're stuck for another. Um, I, I, a couple of things. Uh, Lee, you cracked me up when you were talking about tonight. He was like, you know, it's going to be more of a round thing, not so much a talking down. The morning is going to be me talking down to you, but the evening will be. <laughs> so I had to razz you a little bit. <laughs> um, I do love that. I'll make a plug for that tonight because I love what that stands for. And I like that you call it the outpost. Uh, it just sounds, I mean, a little bit more trendy than what many of us call things. So uh, <laughs> um, I'm excited about that. I think, you know, oftentimes we miss this when we talk about the new covenant and the idea that God gave his spirit to us. Uh, we can tend to reduce it to a, a series of propositional truths like, you know, how you're saved and things like that. And, and it's no longer by works, but by grace. But one of the major components of the new covenant is this idea that no longer uh, will it just be the special few anointed people in the Old Testament that get the spirit, like the kings and the priests. But now God is pouring out his spirit on all flesh. And so a central component and often a very lost component of the new covenant is that now the people of God are spirit-led people not just the priests and kings. It's all of us. 
If you're a believer in Christ, there's something unique that God has given you, and it's to be used as a contribution to others in the body of Christ. Um, So Christianity is not a spectator sport. Although it may feel like that sometimes on Sunday mornings, uh, it, it actually is never meant to be that way. We all have gifts that we bring to share with one another to further the work of the kingdom and continue the work of uh, sanctification in our hearts. And so tonight is a bit more like that. It's a gift. Everybody brings it and shares it. Um, so I'm excited to be a part of that. Um, little update on... Uh, What's going on in Denver? Just for the record, for those of you who don't know, uh, I wouldn't have a church to pastor down in Denver if Crossroads hadn't stepped in and gotten behind us. Um, So the elders here have been my oversight in Denver until we have a local plurality of elders established there. Um, And they've also contributed, you guys have contributed to making sure that that work can happen. I wouldn't have had a salary this last year or in 2020 that, you know, when the COVID pandemic broke out had it not been for the church here supporting us. Uh, so a lot of gratitude is, is do your way because of what we're getting to do there. Um, it's been, uh, I mean, planting a church in COVID, uh, prophetically you figured I should have seen that coming. Um, <laughs> uh, probably not the best time to plant a church or actually maybe it's the best time to plant a church, depending on how you want to look at it. Uh, for us, it has been incredibly good, uh, profitable, and not just for uh, my family, but for the community and and for Denver itself. When a lot of churches are shutting down because they're so big, they can't meet the mask mandate and the requirements in Denver. We were small little units able to to continue to gather despite what was happening worldwide. Um, So really rather advantageous for us. And we were able to set a culture of it's this church is going to be focused around the home primarily uh, where everybody can bring their gift and that the, the gathering that we have of, of all of these groups will, will uh, be a time of, of teaching of the word and of, of corporate celebration of what God has done for us. And so that's kind of what we've been able to do. Um, we've, I, I would say we're growing and that's a very good, healthy sign. Um, we're in the process of, of going through an elder training with one of a, one of the guys in the community um, I'm trying to think what else to update you on. Uh, because of a podcast I do called The Remnant Radio, there's been a lot of uh, opportunities to travel and teach. And when I get to do that, I take a, a whole team and slew of guys with me uh, who are sort of growing in this stuff and, and learning how to hear God's voice and to be spirit-led. And uh, so that's been a really unique and fun opportunity. Um, and as far as the church itself, we've really had a vision to to equip the church. I think all too often... Um, the church can be centered around a special gifted person who usually has a microphone. And we've wanted to get away from that idea as the model for Christian living. Uh, really, the, the job of the person with the microphone is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so what does that mean for all of you guys? Well, it means the very things that Jesus did, you should be doing. And so that's kind of the, the aim of our community gatherings is to train and equip others to do the work of Jesus, to train them how to give the proclamation of the gospel, to train them how to demonstrate the work of the kingdom, uh, praying for the sick, uh, hearing from God and giving uh, prophetic words, um, opening up their homes and hospitality to serve the poor or those who are in need. Uh, all of those things are sort of part of what we're doing as a community. And it's, it's been happening. We're about to kick off home groups in the next uh, couple of weeks uh, where these home groups are going to be, well, we were basically a home group until we 
grew out of that, my home and had to start meeting in a bigger facility. And so now we're reestablishing those home groups again, where that, that sort of center of the community is going to take place and the life of the community will take place. So very excited about all of that. I feel like I'm just rambling now. Uh, <laughs> that relates to a lot of what we're talking about. Um, you know, it's, it's been kind of interesting that Steve is going through Revelation. When I uh, talked to him about coming up here, I was telling him I, I have two different kind of messages that I've been sort of mulling between, but one of them is, is straight out of the book of Revelation, uh, and it's about overcoming great difficulties. And how one of the ways that God allows us to, to overcome is through the family of Christ. Um, that God created this thing called the body of Christ, and he has intentionally knit us together, knowing that we're so, so all completely different and in desperate need of one another. Um, and that becomes really apparent. If you go through 1 Corinthians 12, most people, like when we read it, we think about, oh, well, that's the chapter on the gifts. But it's more than that. It's about how God has uniquely knit people from different backgrounds, different races, different socioeconomic classes, put us together in one thing called the body of Christ and how we can never truly fulfill our calling as a church unless we're in unity and in unison with one another. That you have gifts that I don't have, I have gifts that you don't have, and I desperately need the gifts that you have, and you desperately need the gift that I have, and, and together we make up that body. So, um, and specifically about how that body is going to be what we need for one another and what the early church needed for one another when it came to overcoming obstacles. So... Um, when you read Revelation, I, it's just funny because Steve happens to have, I guess, finished off this last week in his series exactly where the message that I'm preaching today picks up. Uh, so he finished it off talking about one of the things that the church had to overcome and how the reward for having overcome is a much bigger picture. How there's the spiritual world, the spiritual reality, and uh, and that at the end of the days, God is going to give us a, a, an authority to rule and reign over this entire world. Some of us are going to even judge angels, as the scriptures say, which is pretty mind-blowing when you think about it. Um, but how did they get to that place of ruling and reigning? Well, it was through the thing that came right before it, overcoming great obstacles. Um, so today, I want to talk about something I had to overcome uh, and how uh, God has something for all of us to overcome. As a matter of fact, when you read those letters to the seven churches written in Revelation chapter 2 through chapter 3, you're going to find one repeated phrase, to him who overcomes. It's used every single time in all seven letters to all the different churches in Revelation, to him who overcomes. And then the next phrase, which is really cool, is I will give. Which implies, I mean, it, it, that sort of speaks to the nature of God, right? He doesn't necessarily zap away all your problems. But if you overcome those problems, he has a promise of reward. So, and, and here's the truth. A lot of us think that when we come to Christ, that Christ is going to demand all of this from us. All of these things, which is true. He's going to demand everything you have. Everything you are is the demand of Christ. And he has the right to demand it being our creator. But what he will take, he will return in a different way. In other words, you cannot outgive Jesus Christ. God is the giver of all good things, and he will outgive everything that you have to give up. So giving your life, he will give you a brand new one. That new life that he has for you is far more significant than the one you're trying to create for yourself. 
You cannot outgive God. He is the giver of all good things. Um, okay, I'm, I'm kind of all over this, but let me, let me start here with this family idea. Um, when God put together the body of Christ, it was not intended to be a corporate structure and organization, although oftentimes it may look that way. Um, what he created was a family. And in that family came people from all different backgrounds. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, Paul will make this big distinction about how, you know, in the former days, it was just the, the Jews who were given the, the Yahweh as their God. But now God has knit together people from the Jewish nation with all of the other nations of the earth. And so with that come people that you may not necessarily relate well with. Uh, matter of fact, and even when, when God created this thing called the body of Christ at Acts chapter 2, and he pours out the spirit on all flesh, and, and then it extends to the Samaritans, and then it extends to the Gentile nations, even prior to doing that, he called together 12 disciples. Now, when you look at these disciples, most of us, if we're creating a team to, to, or a little family to accomplish a great purpose, we would probably do it different than Jesus did. For example, think about a couple of the guys that he put together on the same team. You've got one guy named Matthew who's a tax collector. You know anything about tax collectors? Well, if you're a Jewish man, uh, tax collectors were the most hated people in, in, in the Jewish nation because they were Jews that were basically serving their Roman oppressors. So if you're Jewish, you're looking at that tax collector going, what a traitor. I can't believe he would do this. Uh, tax collectors were known to t take taxes from the people. And now, now you got to remember the Jewish people were so heavily taxed. They couldn't, uh, they could barely afford food. That's how bad it was. That's how bad the taxation was. Now in our country, they tried to tax us on tea and we decided to throw the whole thing in the ocean. And we don't put up with that kind of taxation in this country, do we? No, but, but this is what was going on in the Jewish nation. And yet you had Jewish people serving the Roman emperor, taking those taxes and handing them over to Rome. And then on top of that, demanding a little extra just for themselves. That's the kind of person that Jesus called to be one of his disciples. And he happened to team him up. I mean, think about this. Jesus at one time is going to send the 12 out in pairs of two. I wonder how he paired them together. Now, this would just be speculating, but what if he took that tax collector and uh, paired him together with another, another of his 12 disciples, a guy named Simon, who's also called the Zealot. You know what a Zealot is? The Zealots were a particularly zealous group of people. They were known for taking uh, little shards of glass and bones and sort of melding them together to create little makeshift knives. And they would stick them in the side of people they considered weren't faithful to the Jewish nation. You think Matthew wants to be in the same room with that guy? And yet God thought this was a really great idea. Let's put people from completely different backgrounds, completely different aspirations, uh, maybe socioeconomic class. Let's put them together and they're going to transform the world, right? That's what it says in Acts. You know, they turned the whole world upside down, uneducated, you know, Jewish guys from different backgrounds. You, you, you have no idea how God is knitting us together and the kind of people he's putting together to create a family. I'm watching this happen in Denver. He's creating a little church family from people from totally different backgrounds. 
I got one guy who was, who's, I mean, <laughs> I think of the ministry trip I took out. Uh, I went to Cincinnati, Ohio, just about three weeks ago. I took a small team with me, about three other guys. One of them grew up in Denver, uh, came to Christ later in life. Another one grew up in Texas. He was raised in a Christian home. Another one grew up in Texas, was not cre- uh, raised in a Christian home. He was actually raised by uh, two uh, homosexual women. Those were his parents. Uh, he came to Christ later in life, was a drug addict, um, I mean, divorced, you know, had, had a kid, got divorced, and then came to Christ. I mean, just a, a crazy radical story. And, and this was my ministry team. These are the guys God is using to transform the world, disciples of Christ, from different backgrounds, different socioeconomic classes, different levels and varied degrees of sin and, and struggles from, you know, story of origin and upbringing. Uh, and I watched these guys get up in a room and, and begin to operate in the gifts of the spirit that God had given them. And uh, one of the guys uh, called out a man and said, I feel like you're a pastor I feel like actually you're an elder of a church and you're in a conflict with your other elders right now and it has to do with the very thing that we're talking about this weekend. Sure enough, the guy had traveled two hours from Illinois and he was uh, an elder in his church and he was in a conflict uh, with the other elders about the gifts of the Spirit. And this is just some young guy who grew up in a broken home uh, and had come to Christ and God was using him to, to do these things. God's pouring out his spirit on all flesh. He takes these guys, puts them on a team, and he expects them to transform the world. Um, it's interesting how these guys from different backgrounds are going to need each other when, when the real uh, persecution starts. And the trials of life begin. So you see in Jerusalem, uh, these guys become sort of saturated and they, they fail to fulfill the great commission, which is to go into all the nations and make disciples, right? Where are they 20 years later? Well, they're still in Jerusalem. <laughs> Have they gone to the nations yet? No. So you know what God does is he allows persecution to come in. And ne- next thing you know, they get dispersed. We got, we got one guy, Thomas, who goes all the way to the southern part of India where he actually gets speared to death after preaching the gospel. And now there's a church that exists there to this day because of Thomas's work. But God used persecution to separate the church and and to get them to go into the nations and make disciples. It's why we are here today. Because those disciples didn't stay in Jerusalem. Eventually they went out and they preached the same gospel. Um, We see this written in James, right? He says, consider all joy, brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds. Right? He tells them to consider it joy. Because of the work he's going to do in creating faith in the family of God when they're being persecuted, when they're experiencing trials. Don't you think it's interesting that the very first line uh, of James chapter 1 is, uh, James, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes dispersed abroad. Why are they dispersed abroad? Trials in life. Uh, how many of you like the promises of God? Any of you like the promises of God? And we got these little books that are so neat to go to. Like, I'm just claiming my promises, brother. You know what are the promises of God nobody ever tells you? You won't find it in the little book of God's promises. In this life, you will have trials. <laughs> Promise of God right there in the scriptures. But nobody tells you that. Why is that? What do they tell us about the promises of God being one of the major ones? Trials, persecutions, overcoming great difficulties. 
Um, listen, I, kind of, I personally came up from an incredibly broken home. Mom and dad divorced at age one. Dad married another woman with six kids. Meanwhile, he couldn't pay child support to my mom to raise the four kids that he already had. So at age four, when he remarried, it was like somebody, you could have just branded me with the word rejection and abandonment. Um, that wound of rejection, I carried with me into my adult life, sabotaging every relationship I got into. Now here's the crazy part. One of the, the cool things was, is Jesus saved me. He saved me. He took me out from a life of sin, a life of trying to do it my own way, a uh, life that I was sabotaging, and he saved me and brought me into the family of God. This family of God I was going to need desperately when uh, my rejection and abandonment issues started uh, manifesting themselves to the point where I was ready to take my own life. Got, almost got married twice. Um, the second relationship, I sabotaged, just blew that thing up. Right? It was one of those th- kind of situations where you know, the, I would text my girlfriend at the time and I didn't hear back from her and I immediately started thinking, well, she must not love me anymore. It had only been five minutes. But that's how much I struggled with rejection and abandonment. You know, the really, the, the, the really ironic part about it was the biggest hindrance to me overcoming my rejection and abandonment issues were all the miracles I had seen. Well, you're going to go, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. Right, that's why I said it was ironic. It doesn't make sense. You see, I'd seen, um, blind, or I'd seen deaf ears open. I'd seen flat feet change shape right in front of my eyes. I saw one young man in Denmark. Uh, he had flat feet. He was not a believer. Prayed for his flat feet. Uh, he gets healed. He doesn't realize he's healed until he puts on his shoes, and he actually can feel like they feel different. And he's looking down at his feet, and he starts cussing out loud about how his feet have changed shape. Again, not a believer. Uh, this young man comes to Christ. And, and I'm telling you, I, I'd seen these kind of things. Tons of it. I met it two, two months ago. Down in Corpus Christi, pray for a, a lady who is uh, completely deaf in what's it, her my right, her left. Okay, I got to try to remember how this played out. Her her left ear completely deaf. No, it was her right. I was praying this way. Okay, yeah. Uh, no, that's her left. I'm so confused. Her left, my right. Anyway, she's deaf in her right ear, and she's partially blind in her right ear. She had had uh, pancreatic cancer, and because of it, they had to remove most of her pancreas. And so she had just a little of her pancreas left, and because of that, it created diabetes. And the diabetes took her vision. Um, The ear problem, we're not exactly sure what happened there, but it was completely deaf in that ear. and had been for five years. Now her eye, when I say she was partially blind, here's what she could see. Like if you were looking straight ahead, you guys can see me, right? Looking straight ahead, you're looking at me. Imagine if all you could see was my hair and my legs, and that's it. Everything in between is completely black. That was her vision. Prayed for her, put my hand on her eye, simple prayer, wasn't yelling at her. Uh, The volume of your voice does not determine power. Uh, Prayed for a very simple prayer, and I said, Lord Jesus, would you come and heal what the uh, diabetes has destroyed, and let everything in this eye be restored in Jesus' name. And I said, why don't you check it out and tell me how, if you notice any difference. So she covers her right eye, 